1 Kings chapter 1 tonight. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to the book of 1 Kings. It's in the Old Testament. It's kind of, I don't know, just start in Genesis and start going to the right. When you get past 1st, 2nd Samuel, you run into 1st and 2nd Kings. If you get to the Chronicles or the Psalms, you've gone too far. Uh, if you have it on your app, it's even easier. You just put Kings, 1 Kings chapter 1. Hey, so we are going to try something new tonight. Are you guys okay with trying something new? Yes, one person is. Um, maybe. Okay, it's, um, it's, it's raw seafood. Do you guys want to try it? You guys eat sushi? You're missing out on life, you uncultured people. It's one of the delicacies in life. You gotta, you gotta try it. Once you, once you start eating sushi, you'll never go back. Um. No. Oh my gosh, you're missing out on life, especially when you get like some. Uh... Yeah. Um. All right. No. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so here's what we're gonna try tonight. It's just a little bit different. So the par- part of the 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 book of Kings, and I never want to discount anything in the Word of God because every every part of it has value and meaning you know um sometimes when 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 a new believer comes to me and um i you know my my end game so you guys know and for you as well one of the things that we want to do as believers the thing that you can do to bless other people's lives is you can get them to read the bible for themselves you know if if you're if you're witnessing to maybe some lds folks or or people outside your faith or your neighbors your friends one of the things that 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 ultimately is the end game and is, and is invaluable in sharing the gospel with other people is if you could get people, because people, for the most part, will say they've read the Bible, they, they, but, but to actually spend time or go through and read the Bible and read books of the Bible, it's absolutely 100% life-changing, okay? And so what, what I've encouraged you guys to do over the years is read your Bible and pray every day, right? Read your Bible and pray every day because that's life-changing. Ultimately, when you take that on as a responsibility, as a, as a call of God, as a part of your relationship as a Christian with Jesus, your life will grow. I promise you in, in Jesus' name, your life as, as a believer in Jesus Christ will grow if you have a steady diet of reading the Word of God. Just reading it. You don't have to understand it. You don't have to retain it. I've heard every excuse in the world. Well, I read it, but I don't understand it. Well, so what? Read it anyways. I read it, but I don't retain it. Well, so what? Read it anyways. You know, you don't remember what you ate last week, but you're here because you because you know what you have for dinner last Wednesday. It probably wasn't sushi for some of you, but whatever you had for dinner last Wednesday night, you don't remember. But the fact that you eat is is this is the substance you need the substance you need to to be alive today. The Word of God is the same way. It doesn't mean that we remember everything that we read and 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 understand and retain it, but it, it's food for your soul. And it's the word of God. But here's what happens. If, if, if oftentimes somebody's a new believer and they, they say, you know, we're, they're encouraged to start reading the Bible. If you pick up the Bible in Genesis and you say you're going to read it like a normal book and you're going to read it cover to cover, then maybe some. And I, and I do encourage people to read the Bible cover to cover. Okay, I don't, but I don't think that's for a new believer or somebody that's new. I think that's more for a seasoned believer. I think when you're new or if the Bible is, is newer to you, that, that you take the Bible the same way you eat an elephant, right? One bite at a time. So you, but if you start in Genesis, you, Genesis is amazing. It's full of history and stories and um, lives and, the, and drama. And, and Genesis is really good. Genesis, Exodus, 
num, uh, um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus. But then you get into Leviticus, and it's the law of Moses recorded. And it starts to bog down. And there's lots of genealogies. So-and-so begat so-and-so, that begat so-and-so, that begat so-and-so. And, so and, so. and you, you're like, you're, you're trying to read and, and mis, mispronounce all these names. And eventually, somewhere about the middle of Leviticus, you'll throw in the towel and stop reading altogether. So that's why I don't encourage people to do that. I often tell them, you can skip those, those things. You can skip the genealogies. You don't have to read every name and every begat. You see a list this long, and it starts with so-and-so begat and so-and-so begat. Just go to the next, next chapter, the next section. It's okay. Um, and again, not to discount that that's there for a reason, and, and definitely God put it there, but maybe the reason is not for you to have to laboriously read all that and end up not reading it. I encourage new believers to start in the New Testament, and, and, and read it kind of, you know, around all 27 books, but maybe not necessarily in order either. Well, so all that to say, in Kings, there's some of that kind of Leviticus stuff. There's some stuff that's just history, and, 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 and we, we could get bogged down in it a little bit. So what I'm going to try to do is um, what we call um, First Kings at 30,000 feet. Okay, you guys ever fly? Anybody ever been in a plane? Okay, your, 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 your cruising altitude is usually somewhere about 35,000 feet. So at 30,000 feet, when you look out the window, if it's clear enough, you can, you can see the ground, but you can't see much on it. You know, you can see the lake, you can tell there's a city or there's, there's a mountain or there's something, but, you know, so we're going to take this uh, particular book, um, and there's lots of good stuff in it. And again, I do encourage you guys to, to when the season comes, to read through it. Um, I've read through I read through uh, all of First Kings this week, um, pre- prepping for this. I did I did half of it on um, on my app on my on my YouTube YouTube version app, and I and I just you know and I read it with the or the re- app read it to me, and so that's cheating a little bit, but it's okay. It's it's I got the, I got it. I retained the information. I I figured it out. All right, you guys ready? First Kings at thirty thousand feet. You guys think we could do the whole book tonight? No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to try. I'm going to try to do 10 chapters. Um, don't laugh at me. That's rude. <laughs> um, all right. So 1 Kings. So we're going we're gonna to break the book of 1 Kings into two sections. 1 Kings chapter 1 through 11 is the United Kingdoms and the reign of Solomon. Now what's fascinating is that um, we're gonna, David died at the, or he's going to die here in chapter 1. His son Solomon is going to reign in his stead. We only get 11 chapters of King Solomon. When you get to, and so you understand, um, when you get to First and Second Kings, it's a history of Israel's kings. When you get to First and Second Chronicles, it's also a history of Israel's kings, and many of the stories are repeated. Some of the um, stories in First and Second Chronicles overlap some things that we read and studied in First and Second Samuel, um, but in First and Second Kings, it deals with all of the kingdoms, the north and the south. In First and Second Chronicles, it primarily deals with only the two tribes in the south or the southern kingdoms. So um, Israel's history basically goes like this, that um, the kingdom was united and divided and united and divided under different kings in different seasons. So in Israel, the, the way that the, the people of Israel work in the Bible is they have 12 tribes. And so the 12 tribes, God said, I am the God of, you guys know this, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so Jacob had 12 sons. And the first name of the 12 sons of Jacob, the names of his sons, that is the name of the 12 tribes of Israel. Those are important. Those are valuable. Those are um, eternal. On the very gates of heaven, 
God said that on the gate and on the foundation, they're they're in in numbers of 12, sections of 12. And on the foundations of the gates that will be for eternity, God is going to write the 12 names of the, anybody know? Okay, no, that's on the gates. On the foundations, he's going to write the apostles, the 12 apostles on the foundations and the names of the 12 tribes on the gate. So we, we have something that the, the 12 tribes of Israel is, is eternal. Jesus was um, from the tribe of Judah, um, the Levitical tribe, and, and, and each tribe has a different section. Well, what happened in the united and divided kingdoms was the, the tribes split. And so they split into a faction, very uneven faction for whatever reason, which was what? Ten and two. So ten tribes in the north. Two tribes in the south. The ten tribes in the north are called Israel. Or, or, um, and the, the tribes in the north are called Judah. So when you see that term Israel, when it's describing, not, not to say it's all not Israel, it's all Israel. When we use the term Israel, we're talking about the country. But the, the, that is one of the names that the northern ten tribes went by. So the northern ten tribes, the north, um, Israel. When you see that term, it's describing the ten tribes that, 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 that were in the north. The two tribes in the south were Judah, and they went by the name of Judah. So in, in, um, in under, under Saul, um, the, kings, the kingdoms were, were divided. And then under David's reign, the kingdoms were divided again, but then they united under David. And David um, reigned over all 12 tribes in a united kingdom. And then in, um, under Solomon, the, kings, the kingdoms were united. We'll get today at the end of this in chapter 11. We'll come to Solomon's son, Rehoboam, who takes over when Solomon dies. We only get 11 chapters of the life of Solomon. But, but Solomon actually, what's interesting is, you know, with David, we got books and books of material about the life of King David in much detail. But in Solomon's life, we only get 11 chapters. And, um, but yet Solomon wrote the Proverbs. He wrote the um, Ecclesiastes. And the Song of Solomon. He writes three books in the New Testament. He wrote, and just in his literary work alone, um, tons more than what his father did. He wrote over a thousand songs, Solomon did. Uh, we have several of them in the Bible. But he, it says that some of the stuff he did was recorded in the Book of Solomon and the Acts of Solomon. We don't have that. We don't know where that's at. That's lost. Um, and so... Um, the, the last 12 tribes, so the first division of first kings is the United Kingdoms under the reign of Saul. 12 through 22 is the divided kingdoms, um, and, and we'll get to how that happened um, at the end here. And then um, let's take chapter 1, verse 1, and just first say goodbye to David. Now King David was old, advanced in years, and they put covers on him, but he could not get warm. Therefore his servants said to him, let a young a young woman, a virgin, be sought out for the Lord King, and let her stand before the King, and let her care for him, and let her lie in the bosom, that our Lord the King may be warm. So one of the one of the, the um, results of the, of King David's sin was this here in, in verse one and two. David could not get warm at night, so David lived a very hard life. It says that David was old and advanced in years. You know how old King David was when he died. Adam was like. 900 years old, right? And when it says somebody's old in the Bible, David died at 70 years old. He's a young man, right? So, but the term here, old and advanced in years, 
it, it doesn't, it, the term itself, and the Hebrew term itself, doesn't necessarily mean number of years, that he was 120 or he had lots of, it, it, meant the, 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 it was based on the condition and the health of the person. Some people at 100 years old can be, you know, still running and jogging, you know, and other people at, at 50 years old are, you know, in invalid and in, in, in bad state. Well, David was in a bad condition at 70 years old. He wasn't, he didn't age well. He lived a very hard life. As we know, David was a man of war. He was a man of, of just lots of battles and fighting and struggles and sins and stuff. And he lived a hard life. He ran from Saul for part of his life. And it took a toll on his physical body. And, and so David got old very young, died at 70 years old. But he had already been in, uh, you know, whatever you call that, uh, convalescent type of uh, um, health by that point in David's life. Um, one of the one of the lessons of King David's life as we leave him here at his deathbed was that even though he was a man after God's own heart, and I think I hopefully I have it highlighted here a couple times where um, God is going to say, which is shocking to us who have just really walked through the life of David and seen his ups and his downs. Um, when he's talking to Solomon, he's going to say, Solomon, if you walk in integrity as your father David did, Solomon, if you follow me in all the ways as your father did, as my servant King David did, and there's all this accolade from God to Solomon about his father David, and I'm reading that, and, and I'm, I'm blessed and I'm impressed because God only remembered and, and highlighted the good things in King David's life and the heart of King David, even though we know his weaknesses and his sins and his struggles, that in God's opinion, David was, you know, I, I think you guys listen, what I'm, what I'm gathering is that God's opinion is, is more based on the condition of your heart than it is on the, the, the nature of all your actions, right? And, and not to make excuse for bad actions, but at the same time, um, that as we go through this, we see kings who, who are guilty of far less um, um, egregious sins than King David was, and, and God is very angry with them. And they go down as not good kings and not good people, and God's got nothing good to say about them. And, and then we see King David who had much worse sins and struggles in his life, but, but yet God has nothing but praise for King David and says that he was a man after my own heart. And I think, I think when God, you know, the Bible says that man looks upon the outside, but God looks upon the heart. And I think the heart of King David was so golden that, that God ab- absolutely um, judged David based on his heart, not so much on his actions all the time. So um, the... Uh, the period of, um, in the first and second Kings both, it deals with about a 400, approximately 400 year period of history um, in uh, David's life. The rest of chapter one, Solomon is chosen to reign king. There's a little um, debacle there where um, one of Solomon's brothers tries to steal the kingdom and um, Bathsheba has to intercede and before David dies. And then um, in chapter 2, Solomon, or chapter 1, Solomon is named king. He's, he's proclaimed king. David dies. And, and now Solomon, David, or before David dies, actually doesn't die. In chapter 2, David is going to give instruction to Solomon. You know, one of the things I, I always struggled with with chapter 2, and I mentioned this to you guys, is um, David has um, Solomon almost like in revenge, almost in the flesh, like David's old and he's bitter 
And um, do you remember that guy, Abishag? He was the guy that when David was fleeing from Saul, he was on the other side of the mountain and he was cursing David and throwing rocks at him and telling him he was a schmuck and he was terrible. And one of David's men said, let me go over and take off this dead dog's head. And King David said, no, leave him alone. Maybe, maybe God has him to curse me. His name was Abishag. He said, don't kill him. Let the Lord deal with him. And so they didn't kill him. David didn't kill him, that guy Abishag. Well, now David's on his deathbed, and he's, going, he's passing the mantle to Solomon, and he begins to tell Solomon who he wants to take care of. And he says, remember Abishag, how he treated me wrong when, I, when, I ran, it was when he was running from Absalom, not from Saul. When I ran from Absalom, he said, kill him. Make sure he doesn't go down to his gray hair. And it's almost like David um, was vengeful. And, and then the thing that we talked about, we unpacked this, maybe some of you might remember this, is um, Joab was David's general all of David's life. Jo- Joab and, and David were yin and yang. They, they were, he was David's right-hand man and loyal soldier all the way through David's life. But, but he, he oftentimes um, did things that, that hurt David's feelings. But, you know, the truth is, right, if anybody you serve next to or anybody you live life or you do life with, you think especially of a spouse, you can love your spouse to death. But over over time, they're going to do things that offend you or hurt you and um, things that, that you disagree with or whatever. And, you know, a brother, I think of brothers and sisters and, you know, but you're still brothers. Well, David and, and, and Joab were absolutely brothers. And Joab did some really cool things in the life of David. And he served his king well, but he didn't always obey his king. And he did some pretty stupid things, too. He killed somebody that that David really loved. He actually did that more than one time. And and David is going to tell, um, but I didn't, I don't think that, I, you know, and I, what I shared with you guys was that the life of Joab to me was a blessing to David. And even though they had their disagreements, Joab served David faithfully for lots of years and that David would have hopefully appreciated that. But he's going to tell Solomon in chapter two, I want you to kill Joab as well. And he gives instructions to kill Joab. And I struggled with that when we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, like, Come on, David, like that's that's not right. Why why would you kill Joab? Joab didn't didn't do anything to you, you know, or he did something to you, but it was not like that. But I figured it out today. So I don't know how or what the Lord gave it to me, but I, I did really. I, I think what's happening here in chapter two, when David is giving instructions to his son, I think he understood something about Joab. His son Solomon wasn't a guy of war. He wasn't really a at this time the wisest guy in the world. Have become that, but I think David figured that that for the sake of his son, that Joab was just too shrewd, too experienced, and, and had too many friends that Solomon would not have. David said, "Yes, Job's a problem and can be a problem, but but I can handle him." You know, David knew how to handle Joab, but he was worried that his son wouldn't know how to handle Joab. He was worried that his son wouldn't be able to handle Abishag. And so the issue wasn't, I don't think, David's vengeance towards these guys. I think it was more protection for his son. And I think as Solomon took over the, the kingdom, David gave him instruction to kill these people because he was afraid that they, they would have given Solomon too hard of a time and that Solomon wouldn't have been able to, to deal with them as David did. Um, so the rest of chapter 2, um, Joab's execution is carried out. And when Joab's execution is carried out, um, Solomon needs a new general, so he, uh, he raises up a guy by the name of Benaiah. And then um, in chapter 3, we come to um, Solomon's request for wisdom. So Solomon is going to take a, a wife from um, Egypt, the daughter of Pharaoh. And then we get the blank check. Let's look at chapter 3 together. There's a couple highlights here I want to talk about. 
It says in chapter 3, verse 1, Now Solomon made a treaty with the Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married Pharaoh's daughter. And then he brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the walls around Jerusalem. So one of the things that Solomon did, we'll get to this at the end. I don't want to give a spoiler alert, but um, Solomon multiplied wives unto himself, 700 wives and 300 concubines. And, and, and the fact that he took the Pharaoh's daughter, it was a political move like you see in the movies today when, you, when they marry the, the princes and the princesses to unite kingdoms and make alliances. It was kind of that deal that was going on here. But at the same time, uh, unequivocally, the daughter of Pharaoh was a foreign woman. And, and the Jewish king had no business messing with a foreign woman. They were supposed to stay within the, the nation and the children of Israel. And so it was, um, you know, an act of disobedience. And ultimately, Solomon, his heart is going to turn. And God, God, God gave three rules for the kings of Israel. Don't, don't multiply horses and wives unto yourself. Don't multiply horses, wives, or gold unto yourself. Be, lest the heart of the king be turned after these things. And that's exactly what's going to happen to Solomon. His heart is going to be turned after the thing. What do the foreign wives bring with them? Foreign gods, idols. The horses pride the money power so so he he wasn't to fall into those things and solomon eventually he's going to start well we're going to see here solomon is going to start really well he's not going to finish well um king saul who was the first king of israel he started really well and he finished so bad that that god doesn't even recognize him biblically as the first king of israel even though technically david was the second king of israel when god mentions it he mentions david as the first king of israel because he was the first recognized king of israel so in verse two it says meanwhile the people sacrificed at the high place because there was no house built for the lord until these days and solomon somebody you guys with me Of the Lord. Amen, 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 amen. That's the key, y'all. really is. Solomon loved the Lord. And in your life as a Christ follower, as a Christian, you know, we, we got a lot to remember, a lot to do, a lot to figure out. But I'll tell you the, the really where it all comes from and where it stems from and how you grow and how you learn and how you, how you figure it out it, is you love the Lord. And, and David loved the Lord. You know, love is not an emotion. Oh, I love you, Jesus. You know, I knew this girl, and I, I hate to tell this story because I'm a, my fear is that someone will hear it on the tape or something someday. And <laughs> But it is what it is. I knew a woman, a girl, and she would pray all the time, I love you, Lord. I love you, God. I love you, Lord. I love you, Jesus. And 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 her life didn't didn't resemble that. Her life was completely upside down and 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 it used to bother me really bad. We were in Bible college together, so there's some more details if someone ever gets the tape. But um, And I'm like, if you love God, then quit doing all that stuff you're doing. Or at least, like, you know, there's there's got to be something that, that matches it. And I got a little jaded, um, I think, over the years. And so, I, I you know, for a lot of years, I wouldn't pray that in a prayer, you know. I love you, Lord, which, you know, and when you, uh, uh, Pastor Terry at Calvary Chapel, Salt Lake, he's a really good friend of mine. And um, one of the things that I tease Terry, I call him Terryisms. So I, I copy the things that he says, and I have a little repertoire of things he says. And one of the things he says almost every sermon, I have the same thing, I'm sure. When I pray, if you guys really pay attention after a while, you'll hear me say the same things. But he says, Lord, we love you a lot. Love you a lot, Lord. Pastor Terry always says that, you know. Lord, I love you a lot. 
And so I always give him a hard time about that. But um, but that I don't know, just because of that experience as a young man, that, that tweaks me because I'm like, you know, like, because I won't say it because I don't want to be the same hypocrite. You know, you can't say you love the Lord. So love is not an emotion. And, and I'm not discouraging anybody from saying, Lord, I love you a lot. I think it's a good thing. But um, what I am saying is that, um, you know, love is not an emotion. Lo- love is an action. Jesus actually said, and I don't know how you want to take this. I want you to take it however God speaks it to your heart. But this is what Jesus said to you. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Is that harsh? Is it direct? I mean, it's true. You know, we we could argue about, about what his commandments are and how we keep those. And I don't think for a minute, I want to be careful, I don't think for a minute that we strive to keep the commandments. I think that we strive to love God, and then God helps us keep the commandments, and then God helps us to do what's right, because we'll get it twisted. Nobody will keep the commandments. But, you know, it's like even even with even with my kids, it's, it's something that has been, you know, kind of a lesson in my own life and heart with my kids and with myself and my wife and on and on and on and on. You know, it's like, you know, I, I can say I love you all I want to my wife, you know, and I think as husbands, we, we understand that, you know, women need to hear it a lot, and it's important to tell them and tell your kids a lot. But I'm not treating my wife well, and I'm being a jerk, and I can say I love you, I love you, I love you all I want, but it doesn't mean anything if, if there's no action behind it. And, um, you know, and, and with the boys growing up, you know, and they say, I love you, Dad. I say, well, then do what, do what I told you to do. You know, and not, not to be, again, not to be a jerk or not to be, but just to be real in the idea of what that means, what love means. You know, I've, now, now Gabrielle's a baby, but I already started on her. Don't worry, I got her too. Because it was just yesterday. We were laying in bed, and she was being a brat, and she was trying to kick me. She thought it was funny, you know, and, and she was trying to kick me in the face. Like, you know, and she was like, now I'm like blocking them and trying to tickle her and touch. Stop, stop. And it wasn't like, she wasn't in trouble yet, but if she kept trying to kick me in the face, we are going to get there. But at first she was just playing, and she was trying to kick me in the face. And then she said, I love you, Daddy. I love you, Daddy. Well, then stop trying to kick me in the face. You know, like I said, if you love me, you wouldn't kick me in the face, you know. So um, so loving loving God is the key. Don't miss that. But but that love is absolutely it's an action in your life. And, and it's not um, it's not a checklist. It's not a to do list. It's not a good and bad. It's not a right and wrong. It, it, it's it's a heart that loves God. And, and, and here I highlight for you. And we really paused on this because it says Solomon loved the Lord walking in the statutes of his father, David, except that he sacrificed and burned incense in the high places, except for that he worshipped idols. David never worshipped idols. So Solomon did have some of the strengths of his father, um, but, but he's going to have his own weaknesses. Um, you know, one of the, the things I heard a pastor say, which, which I agree and don't agree to some extent, but one of the negatives in David's life that the Bible highlights for us is that David was not necessarily a good father. He was a removed father. He didn't discipline his kids. He really blew it on multiple occasions when Absalom rebelled, when, um, what was the name of the boy who raped Tamar? Not Tamar. His sister. He raped his sister. David's, David's son that raped his sister. Um, when Absalom rebelled, that whole story, David dealt with all that in a mess. His children were a mess. David was an absent father. He wasn't. You know, so some people take some of those things and they put them, they, they explain why Solomon did some of the things because he witnessed it in the house of his father, which whether that's true or not, I don't know. I know the Lord breaks generational um, curses and those things. 
And in verse 4 it says, Now the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar at Gibeon, and the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. So that was the biggest barbecue that had ever been offered. A thousand sacrifices on the offer that day. And now we come to verse 5, and it says, The Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream, and God said, Ask, what shall I give you? So we have um, one of two examples that I can find in the Bible where God shows up and he gives to a human being a blank check. He basically, what's happening is God says to Solomon, anything that you want, I'll give you, I'll do for you. Okay. The other one is Moses. God told Moses something very similar. Ask whatever you want and I'll do it for you. What would you do if God gave you a blank check? What would you do if God asked you, what do you want? I'll give it to you. Whatever it is, I'll give it to you. It's like a genie in a bottle. I think that's where the genie in the bottle idea comes from, is from this concept of Solomon. You know, the, the, the world doesn't think of anything on their own. Eventually you find out where, where God, it came from the Lord. But, but in, in essence, it's a genie in a bottle. He says, Solomon, what do you want? I'll give it to you. I had a friend who found a genie bottle one time. True story. He was walking on the beach and he was a real big uh, advocate for Israel and, and world peace. And he used to carry this map around in his back pocket of the Middle East. And he's walking along the beach one day, and he sees a genie lamp in the, in the sand. And he picks it up, and he rubs it, and a genie comes out. And, and, and the genie says, whatever you want, I'll grant you one wish. And my friend said, one wish? What happened to three? He said, times are hard, man. You only get one. So my friend got excited. He pulled that map out of the back of his pocket and he opened it up and he said, I want you, I wish that you would make peace in the Middle East. And the, the, the genie said, oh, Jose, he said, there's no way. He said, thousands of years nobody's been able to make peace in the Middle East. Isn't there anything else you want? So my friend thought about it for a minute and he said, okay, I want, I wish to understand women. And the genie said, let me see that map. <laughs> much easier, much easier. Peace in the Middle East. So Solomon gets a blank check. So what would you guys ask for? What would you want? You know, one of the things when we go to Israel, everybody that goes to Israel will do this and has done this if you've been. But one of the highlights of the trip is um, the tradition in Israel is in the Western Wall, um, the, the, there's cracks in the wall. So you, you go to lunch or sometime before there. And, and you're given a little piece of paper or you rip off the part of your napkin or your table mat and you write a prayer request. You fold it up and you stick it in the cracks of the of the Western Wall. I just saw an article the other day of how they um, – because Israel gets millions. And the tourism industry in Israel is growing by a million more visitors a year right now. Since 2016 – and whatever the number was in 2016 and 2017, there was a million more than came in 2016. 2017, a million more than came in 2016, 2018. And that number has trended for five years. So that means there's been five million more visitors a year going to Israel in 2018 than in 2015. So, um, so everybody that comes, you, 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 and you, you put it in the well, – we can only hold so many. Eventually, you've got to clean it out. So – Total not important here, but I saw this article the other day, so it's curious. But they do. Everyone, they have to go and clean them out. But they treat them like, 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 like um, holy, and they don't just throw them away. They, 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 they bag them, and then they put them in a special place, and they keep them, and they, 
you know, and so they're all still there, but they have to take them out every once in a while. But, you know, when you're, when you're in Israel and you're writing down that prayer request, it just feels like, what am I going to ask God for? Like, I'm going to put this prayer in the Western Wall, and I realize God answers prayers wherever we are, but this is special. And this is, this is a unique opportunity. And, and, I, and I want to be careful whatever I write on this. I remember the first time I went to Israel. Um, I, and, 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 and I was young, and I, and I thought, oh, man, like, like I, I did a good job. But I asked for all things for myself. Like, I want to love the Lord. I want, I want gifts for ministry. I want to I serve you, Lord. And, you know, and it was like, but I was asking for things. I was asking for gifts. But I thought I did well, you know. And then I, I asked Pastor Drew, I was like, what did you write on your, on your prayer request? And, and he's like, oh, and there was a gal in our church that was dying from cancer. And he said, oh, I, I asked God to heal Cindy from her cancer. I went, oh, man, like, I asked for only myself. Now you shamed me. You asked for God to heal Cindy. How much more noble is that? You know, but um, so again, what do you want? God gives you a blank check. What do you ask for? I'll, t- I'll, g- I'll give you a clue. I'll help you out. God shows up. And God gives you a blank check. Your best, best, best bet is say, God, I want whatever you want me to have. Whatever you know is best for me, that's what I want. <laughs> Let him write it in. Because then whatever he writes will be best. You know, it was like Greg Laurie tells a story of his, of his grandson. And, um, and, and it was kind of intentional. But he'd take his grandson to the, um, to the toy store, Walmart or somewhere, and let him pick out a toy when he was hanging out with Grandpa. And, and then um, his, his grandson would pick out a toy, and they'd go buy it, and he'd wait till they were done. And his grandson would say, Grandpa, what, what, what would you have picked? And so then Greg Laurie will pick, like, the most expensive, biggest, like, toy in the store, you know. And his grandson's like, oh, I could have got that, you know. And then he learned after a while not to pick his own toy. Let Grandpa pick it because Grandpa would pick something much better. And, and so – um, you know, the Lord would pick something better. That's the best I could think of. I don't know. That'd be an intimidating moment. Um, Moses, when Moses was asked, I think Moses got it right. Moses said, Lord, I want to see you. I want to see you, Lord. And why is that? Because when you love somebody, what do you want to do? How many of you guys have ever been in love before? How many of you guys have ever been young and in love? Right? What do you want to do? What do you want more than anything? You want to see the person. You want to be right next to them. You want to spend time with them. That's what you want when you're in love. You want to, you know, you talk on the phone until 2 in the morning when your drool's hanging out of your mouth. You fall asleep. And, you know, after you've been with them all day and you wake up the next morning and you go find them. You know, you, you want to be where they are. And because Moses loved God, he said, Lord, I want to see you. And that's the story where, where, where no man can see God at any time and live. And the Lord granted Moses' request, but he couldn't see the face of God and live. So he, he hid Moses in the cleft of the rock, and, and he covered his face, Moses' eyes, kind of as he passed by. And the Bible said that, that Moses saw the, anybody remember? Yeah, the, the kind of glory, or the, the, the train of his, of his robe. And, and, and so that, that was what Moses asked for. So let's see what Solomon asked for. Blank check time. And Solomon said, I would like for you to kill all my enemies, make me a billionaire. No, he didn't say that. He said, you have shown great mercy to your servant, David, my father, because he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart with you. 
You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on the throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord, verse 7 is the, the request. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father, but I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. That's a, that's a Hebrew idiom that means I, I, I don't know how to rule. I don't know how to reign. I don't know how to take care of business. I don't know how to go in. I don't know how to come out. I need some wisdom. I need some help. I love that in verse 7, Solomon is talking about you were the God of my father. And then Solomon follows that up by saying, and now you are my Lord and my God. And, and, and God has no grandchildren. I don't care if your parents and your, you know, we're Christian. That doesn't make you Christian. Every one of us has a choice for God to be our God and to be our personal God. And so here Solomon makes a declaration. He already, we already saw that he loved the Lord. He said, you're my God. And in verse 8 he says, your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen a great people too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to judge this great people of yours. And so in, in, in short, Solomon asked for wisdom. And then it says in verse 10, the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And then God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked for long life for yourself, nor have asked for riches for, for yourself, nor have asked for the life of your enemies. So those are typical things that we would ask for. Long life, lots of riches, and, and success over our enemies or the death or the defeat of our enemies. And Solomon didn't and could have asked for any of those things and he didn't he asked for for simply humbly wisdom and god says because you didn't ask for 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 worldly gain the things please me of yourself understanding to discern justice nor have asked the life of your enemies but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice verse 12 behold i have done according to your words see i have given you a wise and understanding heart so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall anyone like you arise after you. And I have also given you what you have not asked for. I'll also add to you both riches and honor, so that there shall be not anyone like you among all the kings all your days. So if, somebody say if, if you walk in my ways, keep my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, Somebody say amen. As your father David walked, right? Yeah, like really, God, did you read the same First and Second Samuel that I read? Like where David's killing women and children, David, that guy, he walked in all your ways. But again, like God, God looks on the heart. And, and God, David was a worshiper and a lover of God, and, and, and he loved God. And, and listen, I don't think the, just on a side note, that David's conquests of war were, were, were sin. We never highlight the murders that David, like when David committed, when David killed Goliath, that's not murder. It's not a sin. It's, it's an enemy of God. It's an enemy of Israel. It's, a, it's a, like, like when a U.S. Marine or a U.S. soldier kills somebody in Iraq that's shooting at them, that's not murder. When the Bible says, when the, when the New Testament said, and people that are against war, they try to quote Jesus or the Ten Commandments, when the Ten Commandments says, Thou shalt not kill. But, but technically, we understand the commandment doesn't say, Thou shalt not kill. What does the commandment say? Thou shalt not murder. And there's a difference. 
And so we don't list those things in David's, you know, necessarily sins. But I love, 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 love that God, when he speaks of King David, he says good things. And David has success. And he says, walk with me as your father David did. So, so, so God was pleased with the way that King David walked with, with, with God. And it was in love and in relationship. And King David was a man after God's own heart, and his heart broke when he sinned. And when it broke God's heart, it broke David's heart. So verse 14 is, a, um, is what we call a conditional promise. God gives certain promises in the Bible that are conditional, and some are unconditional. Okay, This particular promise is unconditional. There, there's this twisted uh, uh, story of the British Israelites and they, they claimed for years that because God claimed that he was going to keep a king upon the throne of, of Solomon forever, that, that and there's a story where one of them had a baby that ended up going to Europe, and, and, that it, and then that the kings of, 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 of Great Britain are a direct line from Solomon. It's God fulfilling his promise because God promised he would keep a king on the throne of Solomon. They're called British Israelites, it's, and they go on, and they give a bunch of other reasons why. It's all a bunch of hogwash. It's not true. This, it's not biblical. It doesn't line up with what the Bible says. And number one, that God didn't say that. What God said was, if. And so um, in, in biblical hermeneutics, there's, there's a simple, simple, simple recipe for conditions in the Bible, some that are, that are unconditional, unequivocal. No matter what men do, God made these, God is going to accomplish it. God made these promises to Abraham. I will bless those that bless thee. I will curse those that curse thee. Speaking of the nation of Israel. That's an unconditional promise that God is keeping to this day. But oftentimes we have whole chapters in, 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 in Exodus and in Deuteronomy where God says, if you do this, then I will do that. But if you go after foreign gods or if you sin, then I'll do this and I'll, I'll judge. And, I'll, and we saw last week where 70,000 and Israel died because of one of the if conditions. And God said, if you turn as a nation, then I'll do this. And that's exactly what God did. So these are if promises. Unfortunately, Solomon is not going to keep his end of the bargain. And by the time he's um, at the end of his reign, he's going to have blown it. So then Solomon, verse um, 15, awoke. And indeed, it had been a dream. Now, because we're at uh, 30,000 feet, I'm not going to talk about uh, dreams other than to say this. Um, like my, my I love you a lot bias, I have a personal bias against dreams. Because as a pastor, I get it a lot. People come to me and they say, oh, pastor, I, I had this dream of a, of a yellow elephant that was running on a cloud and Skittles of green and blue were coming out. What is God trying to tell me? And I'm like, you ate too much pizza before you went to bed? Uh, you're three sheets to the wind? I don't know. Like, God's not trying to tell you nothing. You know, and, and again, I don't mean to be hawked and brash, but I, I, I have a personal bias. I'm not making it a biblical bias. I have a personal bias against God speaking to you through dreams. Um, he can. I'm sure you can. We see right here where he absolutely did. But also one of the things that, that, that qualifies this that's, that's true and biblical is that you don't see um, after later um, where God um, speaks a lot through dreams um, after we have the written word of God. 
and, and a lot of these things come in a season and a time before they had um, a written word of God. And so, you know, but with that, right, I, I will say this, that in places where they don't have the word of God, the number one people group right now today that's coming to Jesus, do you know what they are? The Muslims. And, and 90% of Muslims in the world that are coming to Jesus today have the same testimony. They're coming to Jesus based on dreams and visions. So without a doubt, God is still speaking through dreams and visions. And you hear some of the testimonies. And what's the trip about these testimonies from the Muslims who, who are coming to Jesus? The, the prince of ISIS had a vision and a dream of Jesus and came to Jesus recently. And it's the same testimony. And, and they're, 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 it just it brings a validity to it. It brings a truth to it to me that you hear a consistent testimony from different people in different countries in Iran, Afghanistan, all over. And, and Jesus is appearing to them in a dream. What's, what's interesting about the dreams um, from these testimonies is that the, Jesus doesn't preach the gospel to them um, in the dream. He, he, he appears. He, he, they know now that Jesus is real and that Jesus spoke to them. And oftentimes what they say is that um, in the dream, Jesus told them about a person that they were supposed to talk to. And what I love, 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 love about this whole phenomenon, because it's very true and it's real. And if you study it, if you're interested, it's happening and it's a real phenomenon. Because you have places in, right, in Saudi Arabia that they'll cut your head off if you even have a Bible. And in, in I think it's 12, 12 Middle Eastern countries, the crime... For, 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 for leading a Muslim to Christ is death. If, if someone who was a Muslim and because of your testimony became a Christian, the punishment of proselytizing in these countries is death. The word of God is absolutely forbidden and, and it's a crime to have a Bible. And so in that kind of oppression, God is speaking in, in visions and dreams and people are still getting saved. But what, well, here's what's powerful. We have a family that was in our church. They moved now, and they lived in Grantsville. We're in Grantsville most of their lives. His name was Mike. Mike was a, um, and I always forget the stupid term. He was a biologist at the um, a, a, a birds of prey, botanist. No, botanist is, I always say that. Botanist is flowers, right? What's my word? Somebody who's, he, he bi- biologist, is that animals? Um Okay, let's call it biologist then. But his, his, his specialty and his degree was in birds of prey. So this is what his job was. He worked on the airport out here in Salt Lake City, and birds are a big problem for airplanes. So some of the birds, they, they don't worry about too much. But the birds of prey, falcons, eagles, anything that's a, a bird of prey or value, the airport can't and doesn't kill them. So he traps them. And, and then he drives them six hours away and releases them. We did a thing where he brought a couple of our kids with him. It's a long drive because he's got to drive like four to six hours away. But then he'll drive. He'll have all these cages in the back of his truck. And then he'll let all these wild birds of prey go. And he brings some of the kids with him to do it. His son followed in his footsteps. And his son is um, the same exact thing, whatever, for birds of prey. He gets a job in Turkey. True story. Still there today. And, and so his son is in Turkey and he's on the streets in Turkey. He's been there for 10 years. He knows the culture. Turkey is a very oppressive country. And um, he's approached by a woman. And she says, you know, I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you. And she wants to talk to him about God. 
and he, and he knows that it's a setup from the Turkish government. And if he starts telling her about Jesus, that he's going to go to prison, he's going to get arrested, and he's very leery and afraid to talk to her, and he's trying to get rid of her, and he's trying to tell her to stay away from me. And, and then the Holy Spirit speaks to him and gives him a peace. So he, him and the woman go aside, and she tells him she had a dream and vision of Jesus, and in the dream and vision, Jesus said the next day she would run into you. She said, God, Jesus told me I would run into you and you would tell me about Jesus. And this young man from Grantsville who now lives in Turkey shared the gospel with this woman and she became a born again believer in Jesus Christ. And that's, the, that's very consistent across the board of these types of stories that, that we're hearing of Jesus appearing to Muslims in dreams and visions. Amen. All right. But don't ask me to interpret your dreams. Okay. My name's not Daniel. And stop eating too much pizza late at night. All right, I said ten chapters. We're only at four. We're gonna, we're gonna, or three. We're gonna roll. Um. So chapter three, God asked for um, um, wisdom. Verse sixteen of chapter three is a great story. It's Solomon's wisdom on display. It says that you can read it, but it says that two women came. And they had one live child and one um, dead child. And a woman comes to Solomon for judgment and she says, um, I woke up in the morning and, and my child was dead. And when I looked at my child, I realized this wasn't the child I gave birth to. And this other woman, she had my child and I had her dead child. She, she slept on her child and killed him. And in the morning or sometime in the night, she switched the babies and that's my baby. And so they come to Solomon, and the other woman says, no, 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 no. Her, her baby is the dead baby. My baby is the live baby. And so Solomon has to try to decide what to do. So this is what Solomon does. His wisdom is on display in his first case. From this trial, the nation of Israel saw the call and the wisdom of God upon Solomon's life. Solomon said to his men nearby, he said, bring me a sword. And then he commanded one of the men, he said, cut the live baby in two, give half to one woman and half to the other. And so the soldiers took the sword and before they could kill the baby, one of the women began to cry and say, no, 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 no. Give the live child to her. It's okay. It's her child, not mine. Give her the live child. And the other one said, no, 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 no. Cut the baby in half like the king said and give us each half. And Solomon stopped the whole proceeding and he said, give the live child to the baby who pleaded for its life. That's its real mother. And everybody saw the wisdom of Solomon and, and praised him. Now, chapter four, um, the, the king's court is established. And this is monarchy stuff, you know, just like we see in the, in the old movies and stuff and sitcoms, whatever you guys watch. It, there's a court that hangs out around the palace and Solomon begins to assign his court in, cha- in chapter four. Um, in verse 22 of chapter 4, it says, So Solomon reigned over all the kingdoms, the river to the land, the Philistines as far as the border of Egypt, and they brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. Now Solomon's provision for one day was 30 cores of fine flour, 60 cores of meal, 10 fatted oxen, 20 oxen from the pastures, and 100 sheep besides deers, gazelles, roebucks, and fatted fowl. What, did you hear that? How, how, for how, how long of a provision was that for? Verse 22. One day. You're talking about, you, see, you know, you talk about a king and his palace and what he fed his, his, his court and his entourage and what they ate every day. And that was one portion. And the staff 
that it took to prepare all that stuff. So this is, this is a big deal. And then in verse 24, it says, For he had dominion over all the rain on the side of the river from the Tipcha, even Gaza, namely over all the kings on this side of the river. And he had place on every side around. And Judah dwelt safely, and each man under his vine, fig tree of Dan as far. And Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses and chariots and 12,000 horsemen. So Solomon's stalls are a big deal. Everybody thought this was a gross exaggeration. 40,000 stalls for 40,000 horses. We know that he brought horses from Egypt and, and Arabia. They were the finest horses in the world. You think even today, right, we think of about Arabian horses. And Solomon had um, an amazing collection of horses. But one of the things that God said a king was not to do was multiply horses unto himself. And Solomon absolutely multiplied horses unto himself and chariots. And, and, and the, the stables of King Solomon's, they've been discovered today. When we go to Israel, it's on the tour. Um, they're in Megiddo. Where, when we go to Megiddo or in the area of Megiddo, where, where the Valley of Armageddon is, where the, where the Battle of Armageddon will take place, near there is a place where we will see the excavated um, um, stables where Solomon kept all of his horses. And then it says um, in verse 26, Solomon had, or verse 27, then these governors, each man as much, provided food for the king, and there also brought barley straw a proper, and God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and the largeness of heart like the seashores. And Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of East and all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all the men of Ethan and Ezra and Hermon, Charcoal, Darda, the sons of Mahol. The fame was in all the surrounding lands. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005 and he spoke of trees from the cedar tree of Lebanon, even to the hyssop that spring out of the wall. He spoke also of animals, of birds, of creeping things, of fish, and of men of all nations from all kings in the earth who had heard of the wisdom, came and heard the wisdom of Solomon. Can you, can you imagine having somebody like this? I mean, if you go through this list, if we really paid attention and slowed down, there wasn't any subject that Solomon didn't speak perfect wisdom on. How would you like to have Solomon around? You could just ask him a couple questions. You guys have any crazy questions you want to know? How come you can blow in a dog's face and it gets all mad, but you put it in the back of the car and it sticks his head out the window? Why is that? You know, I don't know. Like, can you think of something that, you know, that, that about life or just tweaky thing that any kind of question, you just can come to Solomon and, and he could give you all the wisdom in the world. He was so wise. And he could speak of anything. He spoke of trees. And what does it say? It goes on and on. He spoke of the trees of Lebanon and hyssop and songs. And he wrote a thousand songs. And he, and he wrote proverbs and, and had wisdom. And he, he spoke of men of the east and wisdom of Egypt. And wiser than all the men of Ethan and all of these places. And he, and he spoke 3,000 proverbs. You know what's interesting about Solomon? I guess we're going to have to stop here, you guys, tonight. But um, we got four chapters done. Um, just like his father, David, you, you know what the Proverbs, a lot of the Proverbs, and I encourage you guys to read the Proverbs, especially now as we're going to go through, and we're going to talk about Solomon for this week and next week or next week we will be in something else. But I want you to read the Proverbs. You know what the Proverbs are? They're a book of how to raise your kids. They're, they're, they're a book of warnings for you against the deceitfulness of riches. They're, they're a book of warnings for you against the deceitfulness of foreign women. They're a book of wisdom against the deceitfulness of, of lust. And yet, even though Solomon literally wrote the book on how to raise children and how to avoid um, bad relationships and 
um, the, 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 the wiles of, of evils of, of riches. He fell in every one of those areas. And by the end of his life, you know, it's like, hey, dude, you should have maybe read some of your own Proverbs. But he, he had, and to me, what does, that, what does that say? Or what does that, I don't know, I think there's probably a lot of stuff we could, we could come from that. But to me, the main thing is, and I, and I, and I do this in life, I understand this, um, is that there, there's two, um, two things. First of all, there's a difference between wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge puffs up. Paul said, if I have all knowledge, but I have not love, I've become a clanging cymbal, sounding gong. Um, if I have all love, I mean, if I have all, all, all knowledge. Um, but oftentimes, listen, we have the tools that God's given us. That's one thing. What's the other thing? To use the tools that God's given you. You know, honestly, in my, in my, in my marriage, you know, I, I have the tools. I, I really, I really do. God's given me the tools of, of wisdom. You know, when when I married the pastor's daughter, this is a true story. You know, the first I've been married a week, but he's my boss too, so he gives me a stack of books like this tall. He goes on his bookshelf, and every book he's ever found on marriage, he's pulling them off. And by the time he's done, there's a stack this big, and he said, "Here, read these, and I want you to come up with four um, one-hour sessions on premarital counseling. You, you're going to start teaching all the premarital counseling classes around here." Uh, I've been married for a week, dude. Yeah, 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 get it, you know, read the books and figure it out. And every year he read a book. And every year, you know, because I married the pastor's daughter who was my boss, he made sure I knew there was every, read every book and knew. So I, I, know, I, I know what the Bible says. I know it, but does it mean I have a great and perfect marriage all the time? Absolutely not. But when my marriage struggles, it's not because I don't have the tools. It's because I don't even use them. Because I don't follow them. I don't apply them. I do marriage counseling. It's one of the things that because of that experience with Pastor Gerald and he, he pushed all the marriage counseling stuff my way, thinking it would help me to be a better husband to his daughter. But, um, you know, we have two different types of marriage counseling classes that come in. Sometimes people come in and they're going through the motions and it's a waste of my time. And when I was young, I wasted my time. And as I get older and a little more grumpier, I waste a lot less of my time. And I tell people, don't waste my time. If you're here to go through the motions, you've already made up your mind what you're going to do and go do it. But what they want to get a divorce. But when the divorce happens, they want to be able to say, well, we went to counseling. We tried. Well, no, you didn't try. You, you, you use me as an excuse, but I can't help you. You know, I can't, I can't help. I can't help. We, we had a, we had a gal and it uh, came in and her husband and he was having an affair and, um, I mean, her heart was broken and, and she was willing to forgive him and move on. And she just really wanted him to tell her that he loved her and that he was sorry. And, you know, and she, she was cool. Like she was ready to try to move on. And, and, and it wasn't really wasn't that difficult. You know, and I told him, I said, listen, you can fix this. You can at least try to fix it. I said, it's real simple. Your wife wants to hear you say you're sorry, that you love her and that, you know, you'll, you'll put her first and you'll make this right. And I said, you know, you just need to talk to her. And I got up and I had two doors in my office and I walked out the back door and I said, just tell, I said, I'm going to leave, leave you two alone. Just, just fix this. This is fixable. Terrible as it is, it's fixable. Your wife's broken, but she's got an open heart. She just wants to hear you love her. And I got out of my office, and I went out the back door to give him some time alone. And by the time I turned the corner, he was coming out the other door leaving. That's about how long he stayed in there. And then I felt dumb. I was like, oh, that didn't work. But the reality was he had no intention of divorcing or, or stop seeing the girl that he had started seeing. Eventually he divorced his wife and got together with this other girl. 
and he only came to counseling so that when it was over, he could say, well, I tried that and it didn't work. Wasted my time, wasted their time. On the other hand now, what, what counseling is effective for and what it does do well for is when people, and this happens oftentimes, people just need tools. You know, it's like if you, and it applies to anything, right? Like if, if Larry back there, who's a master mechanic, you know, if, if you have to fix your carburetor, you know, Larry will say to you, yeah, hey, get the half inch and the whatever. You know, you need the half inch ratchet. That's the one you need. Well, now you know what tool it is, but you still have to go out and put the tool on the nut and turn it. You still have to go out and do the problem. But if you don't have the tool or know which tool to apply, there can be problems. So people that come for marriage counseling and come for counsel that, that legitimately just are looking for tools, we can really help them. And if, but they have to take the tools back and use them. And so God gives us the tools in his word. That's half the battle. The other half of the battle is applying them. So the difference between uh, knowledge is having the information and then, the, and then wisdom is a different word than knowledge. Wisdom is applying the knowledge, right? Like the PhD, super scientific doctor and the pastor who went to play golf. And the PhD said, oh my, pastor, it's raining and lightning on us on the golf course. And the rain looks heavy. And the pastor said, well, then we should get off the golf course and head to the clubhouse. <laughs> One had the knowledge. And the other had the wisdom what to do with it. You know, wisdom is, is how to apply. Some of, the, some of the most awkward people that we've ever met are the most intellectual, smartest people on the planet. And, and oftentimes they, they don't always have the most practical wisdom. So it's two different things. Amen? All right, let's stand. Hey, so read the Proverbs this week. you got two weeks. Um, be reading the Proverbs this week. We'll take uh, the other six chapters or seven chapters next week time we get together um so we'll probably spend like three weeks the last 11 chapters will go really quick there's a couple highlights in there and then we'll uh we'll kind of go through first and second kings this way so probably about three four weeks and then we'll um get into something um after that maybe the psalms or something let's pray father god we come before you and lord i thank you for the the wisdom of solomon and i thank you father that Knowing and, and understanding and walking through the word of God, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, even as we went through fast and just did it at 30,000 feet, that there's a value in that. And we thank you for the lessons. And there are many lessons in the life of Solomon, that he was the wisest man that ever lived and you blessed him abundantly. He wrote the book on raising children and yet struggled as a father. And he wrote the book on the, the dangers of having lots of money and, 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 and your heart following those things and struggled in that area. And so, Lord, we, we pray, Father, that as your, your word is the tool, your word gives us the tools, that we also understand that it's the spirit of God that gives us the knowledge and the wisdom or the wisdom to apply those tools. And so, Lord, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. God, we need we need to um, have a relationship with Jesus to be able to apply these tools. And we got to die to ourselves in, in order to, to do the things that we're called to do in marriage and and in life with our kids, that, that we die to ourselves every day, as Jesus said, to take up our cross daily and follow you. Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.